Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. We've got two Redemption Press authors for you to meet today. I am super excited for you all to hear their Romans 828 stories. On the first half of the show, you're going to meet Lori Shoemaker, Redemption Press author of Surrendered Hearts. And then on the second half of the show, you'll meet Carrie Roberts, author of A Guide Dog Named Arby. So before I play that conversation with Lori, let me give her a proper introduction. As wife, adoptive, biological, and special needs mom, teacher, writer, speaker, and coach, Lori's heart is to encourage others to meet the challenges of life with the hope of Christ. Wherever you find yourself today, through both Lori's freelance writing and her blog found at laurieshoemaker.com, you can find tools to help you grow in your faith. In her award-winning book, Surrendered Hearts, she weaves lessons on letting go, trusting, and living surrendered to Jesus through the telling of her family's adoption story. You can also connect with her on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, and Amazon. Lori has been featured on Christian websites, including I Believe, Crosswalk, and many more. She's a regular online contributor to Devotable App and the Empowered Women's Club. Her work can also be found in three devotional book compilations, Hope Songs Volume 1, soon releasing Volume 2, and also soon releasing Equality Created Equal in His Image by the Devotable Authors. And just a few little known facts about Lori, she's a basketball mom who loves sitting courtside and watching her boys chase their dreams. She grew up on a fishing resort in Northern Minnesota where she spent the summers catching frogs and sorting leeches and worms to make some extra income. I love that. She has a lot of genetic health issues and almost lost her left kidney in her 20s she still battles all kinds of weird physical health issue stuff. She loves Diet Cherry Pepsi and Coke way too much. She and her hubby are building their first custom home and loving it. She used to sing on her church's praise team and the beach is her slice of heaven on earth. And boy, can I relate to that. So, hey, let's roll that conversation with Lori. Well, I am so excited to have this time with you today, Lori. We have not seen each other in person for at least a couple of years, I think, but so excited to have you on the All Things Podcast today. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much. It's so good to see you again and talk with you again, and I'm I'm just honored to be here with you. Well, you know, I would love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better So before we kind of jump in and start talking about your book and ministry, what I would love to do is just hear your Romans 828 story, because I want people to know that, you know, you face some hard things and some dark times and God has worked them all together for good. Romans 828 is so much at the foundation of my life that we're building a new house right now. And in the foundation, I 
wrote Romans 8.28 in several places around, around the cement foundation of the new house that's going up. As a young girl, I, I always believed in God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't, I didn't understand what, how much God loved me, and I didn't understand what it meant to be a child of God. And I looked at God as a, as a reverential God that's uh, high up in heaven and, and kind of watching over me in that way. Went through some hard things as a child, had a very broken idea of who I was and everything that I was placed value on in myself was my accomplishments, my achievements, affirmations from other people. And as I became older and in my high school years, I turned to boys to looking for somebody that was going to love me. And that was what was going to make me worthy. At 17, I found myself pregnant and it was devastating. My father was so angry and was so disappointed in me for blemishing our family name as well. So many pieces of that that was just, just so painful and so hard. My father insisted I have an abortion. And so at 17, I had an abortion. And that just spun the cycle of my shame and heartbreak into just this vicious cycle that landed me a few years later in an abusive marriage that then took a couple of years to walk away from. And at the same time, I if you were to know me on the outside, you would never know any of that because I was achieving. I had my degree. I had my job. I was a teacher. I was, I owned my own home. I was, I was doing all the right things to try and affirm my worth. But on the inside, I was just empty. And it took a couple years after that divorce and lots of counseling, lots of reading the right kind of books. And God all the time was drawing me closer and closer to him. And by the time I met my current husband, who we've been married for 20 years now, and he's just a gift from God. By the time I met him, I had taken some big steps into the healing, but it still took time before I really met Jesus for who Jesus really is. The God who takes all things and works them together for good. The God who loves us and forgives us and has arms open wide with grace and the one of hope. You know, I didn't, I didn't have that before that. So my book is about our adoption story. So when I look at my full Romans 828 story, and I see how I was this broken, shame-filled, having no worth girl that just had this deep pain inside of her and had this abortion to then someday have an amazing husband, have two biological sons, and be given the opportunity to be a mom, an adoptive mom to a little girl whose mom chose life instead. That is complete redemption. That is redemption. And so that is my redemption stories story. <laughs> that is, it is um, such res restoration and full circle. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. to think about where you started and yes. where you ended up. 
yes, to where God has built and created my life today, I never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined the blessings and how this would all work out. And the truth of the matter is that it was all those broken pieces that God worked together for this good. Yeah. And, and it just, I just get goosebumps every time I think of it because when I see other women and that's the heart behind my own ministry, we all have broken parts of our past. We all have broken parts of our, of our future. We all have pain. We have all these things that are so hard in life. Life is just hard. God is so good at taking those pieces and working them into something beautiful for those that love him. Mm. Amen. And that's really where he shines in in our brokenness. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're like both achievers and you know, if we just make it all happen and just, you know, I mean, then we get all the credit instead of him. So (laughs) for him to work in our broken places is such a gift. It really Mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So you and your husband had two children, one whom had faced significant health issues And yet you still felt a strong pull towards adoption. What, how did that happen? What spurred your heart toward international adoption? You know, it wasn't necessarily um, toward international adoption. God had planted something in my heart early on, actually in my college years of, of adoption. And I had started watching the stories. I don't know if you remember, it was like back in the late eighties and it was, I think maybe 60 minutes or, or 2020, one of those shows. And they showed the Romanian orphanages and it was, it was an expose that kind of shocked everyone here that we saw TV. We saw cribs lined up with little ones in there and just rocking and it, and it devastated us. And it opened our eyes to what's going on in in other places of the world. So I had seen that, you know, as a, you know, 19, 20 year old. And, and so at that point, I really had a heart for adoption, but my also as growing up, one of my very best friends had been adopted. And so I had always, and she was from Korea. And so I had kind of followed that. It had been a part of my life. And so God just kept planting it in different ways. In the beginning, my husband didn't want to adopt. He said, you know, no, he didn't. He just didn't have that in his heart. Mm -hmm. But our best friends then decided to adopt a little one. And God used their story and their little one that they brought home as his tool for softening my husband's heart. And so at just God's perfect timing, he said, my husband looked to me at me one day and he said, you still want to adopt? I said, yes, let me pull that out my files. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I've been waiting and praying for this. <laughs> wow. I love so, it how but, God uses someone else's desire to kind of fan the flame or even start the fire in our own hearts. So exactly. that's a example. Mm-hmm. So when you lost Gargana, you faced a faith crisis. What did God teach you about surrender? At that point, we had tried, we had thought we were going to be successful in adopting Gurgana. Um, and then we found out that she had been given to another family. And I grieved, like, I've also suffered a miscarriage in my life. And it, it was the same kind of grief when we thought we were bringing this little one home and I felt God just anoint this moment and, and that 
she was meant to be our child. When I saw those pictures and when I watched those videos and when we signed paperwork and when we went through all of that, in my heart, I had a mother's love. And so when we lost her, I grieved and grieved and grieved and had a hard time, really had a hard time letting it go. And that's part of the story. But what I learned about surrender is that one, how much do I trust God? Surrender and trust, they're just, they're completely related. Right. If I don't, if I say I trust God, then I have to be willing to surrender. I have to be willing to say, okay, it's your way and your way is the right way. And I trust that no matter how awful this looks to me, you have something, you have something different that's meant for me and that must be better for me. Mm-hmm. And so both what I learned about surrender is that it's so important to moving forward in faith. It's so important to our peace and it's so important to growing in faith and in honoring the walk that God has before us. Mm. That's so good. That's so good because yeah, when he teaches us the importance of surrender, we're realizing that we're not God. He is, and we have to give all of what we think might be our rights or our, all our dreams, all of that. We have mm-hmm. to hold it with open hands and just say, okay, your will, not mine. Mm-hmm. That's a strong, when God does that in our hearts, it really I, produces fruit. It does. And that's what exactly what the story is about. It was a, it was a complete God moment. That moment that I sat back and said, okay, all right, God, I give this child back to you. She was yours to start with. She was never mine. She was yours. And even if you put this little one in my heart so that I would pray for her all the days of my life, I thank you. And I praise you for that opportunity. And I surrender her back to you. And this peace washed over me. And it wasn't even a week later that the tide of our story completely changed. Wow. So you write a lot in your book about how God taught you about being patient in the waiting. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the word that most of us <laughs> like just want to say, get behind me, Satan. I don't want to be <laughs> yes. patient. You know what I mean? <laughs> now. <laughs> so share with us a little bit about that. Adoption is such a a journey to walk of patience. It is a hurry up and wait kind of thing. It's like, oh, we need this paperwork. We need this. We need that. We need the other. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So that we can wait and wait and wait and wait on all the powers that be on, especially an international adoption, because you're having to deal with two governments. And so you have so many things you're waiting on. And I know it's talked about often, like, it's not about the weight, but it's, it's how, what you do during the weight, you know, it's, it's how the peace that we have during the weight. And I just learned so much to keep my eyes open and looking for the good that God is giving in our, in our lives while we wait. Don't waste that time and say, well, I can't be happy. I can't have peace. I can't have joy until again, it goes to that surrender and trust. Waiting with surrender says, okay, I can still enjoy and I could still live life to its full while I'm waiting. And I'm going to keep 
giving this back to God. And I'm going to keep repeating that I trust the God of the universe to make this happen in his time. Mm-hmm. And it, we're human. So it's something like we probably have to do about 150 times a day, right? Or more. Right, right. <laughs> Every second, we're trying to grab back that control keep pulling it back. And then we have to let go again, let go. And every time I'd have those thoughts going through my head of why God, I I don't understand. And this doesn't make sense. And I have to let have to cancel out those thoughts and just Mm -hmm. say, you are a God whose thoughts are far higher than my thoughts. And and you know, the story and you know, you know, so I had to just keep canceling those thoughts out the negative ones Mm -hmm. and replace them with truth. Amen. Amen. And I, I really, I've never recognized it before until we had this conversation that really surrender and patience. I don't think they can be separated. They mm-hmm. surrender comes with the need to grow in patience. Mm-hmm. And yes. boy, is that refining? <laughs> yes, yes, right. It's it must be one of our core human thorns, I guess, yep. because I don't know anyone that hasn't struggled with patience and waiting in their life. Yeah. Okay. So you write that one day you logged into a chat room online for people interested in adopting from Bulgaria. And from that initial login, God did a miracle. Tell us that story. So after we had determined that Bulgaria was where we were going to adopt by simply just following where God was giving us peace and what doors he was opening, what doors he was shutting and just trying to lead everything in prayer. So we decided on Bulgaria. Then at that point, you know, we didn't have Facebook groups and things like that. Cause I think this was 2009. And so there were like Yahoo chat groups and I found one that had to do with international adoption. So I got into that chat group and began communicating with someone in there. Not, I, but it was just a real casual conversation. I just loved her story of uh, her story of just, it was positive. A lot of people in support groups kind of things, it can get almost kind of negative and people go there to, because they're, they're trying to talk to somebody who understands what they're going through. Right. Right. But often it can, it can take a negative spin if we're not careful, but this woman had shared her stories, shared her trials, and she was always uplifting and encouraging to the group. And so I just reached out to her and sent her just a quick um, email and said, thanks so much for, for always being such an encouragement. It's just, you know, you're a ray of light. And we had little conversations back and forth, but what happened is that after we had lost our Gargana and I had gone through this season, six months of grieving, I, and then I gave up and I surrendered, when I surrendered her back, I had logged back into this chat group and I saw there were like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails I hadn't been able to look at over the months because my heart just wasn't, couldn't read about it at that time. Mm. And so when I looked this time, I thought, Oh, I should just delete all these and start over. But I couldn't. Something held me back. And I had to start reading through the threads. And I went right back to that, to the woman that I had talked about before. And so I looked at hers and I followed, I read about her whole story of bringing her little girl home and, you know, all these things that had happened over those six months. And I kind of reached out to her again. Well, that conversation led to her asking some questions about my scenario 
And back in those days, we had to be very guarded about what information you shared. And it may still be that way, but the laws around adoption with Bulgaria was that you could not share names of children or anything, um, any private information. Otherwise, you could be um, taken out of the program. So we weren't very no one was really open about saying, oh, it was a little girl. Her name was this. It just wasn't, you couldn't have open conversations like that. And so um, when I started talking with her, I mentioned just a little bit of our story. And then she kind of asked a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then she said, you know, I have, I know somebody else who's actually in Hawaii. So I'm in Arizona. This lady that I was emailing with is in Ohio. And she said she has someone in, in Hawaii that she just really thinks I should talk to and that could really help me. And so she didn't tell me why, but the other e woman emailed me and we started this conversation. Well, long story short, this woman ended up being who God used to bring Gurgana, now our Sela, back into our life. And so it was a connection from Arizona to Ohio to Hawaii, all the way over to Bulgaria and a file that had been, and Italy, a family in Italy that was supposedly adopting our daughter as well. But her file at that point had been placed on the desk of the files of the children that they were going to put in another file cabinet of the unadoptable. And had I not found out when I did, and got a hold of our caseworker and she got a phone call over to them and they looked, we would not have been able to track her down. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and you have to think back this many years right now, this would be a little bit more viable because of the way Facebook groups and social media is, is so ramped up. But back then there were like a thousand people in this international adoption group. And that I happened to establish some kind of relationship with the woman that knew this other woman that was connected to our Sela, Gurgana, who is Sela. <laughs> line appointment. Yes. Wow. Okay. So we've got about 10 more minutes. So um, you did finally bring her home, named her Sela. Sela? Mm -hmm. yes. Sela. Okay. Sela. Mm -hmm. um, but it hasn't always been easy. So what challenges have you faced as the mom of an adopted special needs child? It has been very hard, but what God showed us through the process of how he brought her back through a miracle, there's never been a moment that we have second guessed or that we have doubted that we're equipped to handle whatever it is that God is setting forth and that, that we need to face with her. But she has lots of special needs that we were unaware of. She has had a multitude of, of physical special needs with surgeries, lots of surgeries. And um, she has, her experience in the orphanage was very tragic. And so she has a lot of emotional and mental health issues because of that. Also developmental delays and just, just the whole gamut of things that really, really threw our world into an upside down turmoil for quite a while. And it was a really hard time in our marriage. It was hard for our family. It was, it was just really hard because we went from this family of four with two pretty, you know, at that point, healthy, active boys. And my husband traveled a lot for work and, but I had things going along at a, at a pretty good clip to when she came home, we were at the children's hospital at least three to four days a week 
And, and so it was constantly that the boys had to give up their activities, their sports, because we spent so much time at the hospital. But, and today, you know, uh, nine years later, she is 14 now, and she's a beautiful little girl, and she still struggles with lots and lots of health issues. But God has just walked us through each step, and that what he walked us through in the beginning, the key is remembering. I remember that he walked me through that. I remember what he walked me through those first couple years when things were really hard. So, so again, I have to look back and remember to remind myself that, okay, we're facing another hard time right now. He's going to get me through just like he did then. Amen. So if you could speak to Selah's birth parents, what would you say? Uh, I pray I sometime, I someday can. There are some families that have done that. It, it, it chokes me up, but I want to say thank you. Thank you for choosing life. Thank you. And I know how hard it had to be, how hard it had to be to give her up, how hard it had to be to make that choice. But thank you. Thank mm. you for doing that. Thank you for your bravery. And yeah. thank you for this life that you have given, given us yeah. your yeah. gift. So what encouragement do you have for a woman or man out there who may currently be facing a challenge, struggling to let it go? How does someone get to the point of surrender? It's a lot of wrestling. <laughs> it's a lot of wrestling, honestly, wrestling with God. There were, I remember times just back and forth in prayer with him. And, and I remember there was a time where, you know, I just wanted to be that. I think Lisa Turkers has the book, good, good Bible study girl. Like, oh, I can't be mad at God. And I can't, I can't, I can't be angry. I just have to be okay because that's the good Christian way to be. But God, God knows what's going on in our heart. Why we need to be transparent with them. And, you know, Getting to that point of surrender is being honest with ourselves, with how we're feeling, and being honest with God in prayer, how we're feeling. But yet, holding ourselves accountable to staying in the word, not letting our anger take over, not letting those emotions and feelings be our guide. That's our feelings lie to us. The enemy works through that. We need to stay in the word so we keep reading truth and we need to keep worshiping God. We need to stay you know, hold ourselves accountable so that we can keep growing in our faith, but at the same time, be honest and be real, but look for healing. Don't, don't want to stay stuck in that pit. And what we'll find, what we find when we keep doing that is we get closer and closer to this place of, I can let go because I can trust you, God. I can trust. And then when we do, we get that peace. Amen. So as we wrap this up, I would love for you to share a tip or a tool that would just help those who are listening. Remember, even when it's hard to see straight or see any light that God really is working all things together for good. I know it sounds so simple, but keeping some kind of, of journal or notes or something somewhere, you know, if it's a prayer journal, it doesn't have to be something really organized. It can be notebooks where things are just jotted down. It can be your phone notes, whatever it might be, but that act of remembering, however that is, you know, nowadays we carry our phones with us all the time. We have so many recorded video moments. There's so much out there that we can look at that way. And, and looking back, to when God got us through something else and refreshing our memory 
of that moment that we were like, wow, thank you. Oh, I made it. I got to the other side. Here was grief and here was, there was joy on the other side of that. Joy always comes in the morning, right? And so that act of remembering, and each person might be different in the way that you give yourself cause to re, to remember, whether it is a journal, whether it is you're looking at videos, whatever it might be. But that act of, that act of remembering, I think is our, is our biggest tool. That's a good word. Cause that's, I mean, they had memorial stones back in the day where right. they could say, see, this is where God did this. And this is where God did that. Mm-hmm. Same mm-hmm. idea. I love that. Yeah. So so if we have some listeners that want to connect with you online, where, where's the best place to find you? Uh, my blog is the easiest place. It's at laurieshoemaker.com. And otherwise you can find me from there. You can find me on Facebook and um, I'm searching for moments on there. And then I'm Laurie Shoemaker on Instagram and on Twitter. So I'm on all the major profiles or platforms, but I am and, and email Laurie at laurieshoemaker.com. Always love to get emails and, and email folks back. So, and, and again, my book, of course, with, with you, Athena at Redemption Press. So you can find me through there too. Amen. As well. Amen. And we'll have all the links and all that information in the show notes. So Lori, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you again. And we are back for the second half of the podcast today. And I am getting ready to introduce you to Redemption Press author, Carrie Roberts. So let me do that and then we will roll that conversation. Carrie Roberts is an author who shares her husband's passion for guide dogs. She enjoys writing stories and songs and creating tactile ceramic impressions for people and pets specializing in Braille. She and her husband Clark share hope and encouragement through his book, Wags to You, Short and Long Dog Tales, and speaking in school and business settings through Ultimate Vision. They have two grown children, and Carrie is the author of A Guide Dog Named Arby. Well, I have been waiting too long to have this time with Carrie Roberts, who is one of my favorite people. And it is just such a delight to have her on the podcast today. So Carrie, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, Athena. I've been looking forward to it also for way too long. I know. (laughs) I know. So, you know, you have such an incredible Romans 828 story where God worked all things together for good because you love him and you're called according to his purposes and so is Clark. So I would just love to start our time together with you sharing that love story of how God did what he did. Okay, that sounds great. So I just to kind of start people out with kind of knowing where I came from a little bit. And that's that um, when I was 25, I became a single mom and had an incredible son named Jacob. 
And when he was three years old, I had been going through some things and just adjusting to, you know, trying to do life and trusting God with my entire journey. And I had this um, opportunity that I just have to share because it's just so incredible the way that God opened a door. And that was that I had applied to start working at a church, um, Cole Creek Chapel, which was being, it was a church plant by Overlake in Washington. And what happened was that I applied for the job. I had had hotel industry background and I called. And the reason I have to bring this up is because on the day that I called to check on my resume, Patty, who was the, the secretary for the division that was the director that was opening up the church, Patty says to me, she goes, Carrie, I'm not kidding. She goes, I just put your application on the discard pile. And I was like, Patty, I'm telling you, I can do this job. You need to take it off the pile and put it back into the, yes, we'll consider you pile. And what happened from that point forward was that the pastor that was starting the church brought me in, gave me an interview and God opened a door. He took, the pastor took a chance on a single mom who um, didn't have any church experience as far as administratively there. But I told him, I said, I can do this job. I know this is where God wants me to be. And so I started working for the church that I would then remain at for eight years working in a capacity there. And the reason why that's so significant is because of the fact that, you know, trusting what God is telling you and moving forward with it and being confident in his plan for you, even though other people are like putting you in the discard pile, really important. And so I went there and, and God just surrounded me with people that were incredible mentors for my son and incredible encouragement for me and my, my Titus two women that were there to lead, guide, and direct me and show me always God's word and God's path for what my future and my present was to be held by him. And then to be able to encourage others in their journey too. And so, you know, you kind of laugh about this because, you know, you wanted me to start with my love story. Well, I'll tell you something. I, you know, I kind of figured I'm a single mom and I think it should be mom single because you're a mother first before you're single, honestly, you know, and, mm. and I was very wrapped up in my, my work was my ministry, was my church, was my place where my son ended up going to school, was my church, was my work, was, you know, the circle of everything I did was right there. And I thought, I'm probably not going to really meet anybody here. It was a, a small pool of fish. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so, so fast forward from 1993 to 1998. And I had been just absolutely loving, you know, every part about working with our church, working with our women, working with our youth and being kind of that front person, that voice on the phone, the person that got to take the phone call and pray with people, cry with people, encourage people. Anybody that was there coming into the doors had already been through the doors and it chose for whatever reason not to come back or for those that had yet to come. I knew that this was where God had me. And so I would answer the phone and I would say, hi, you know, this is Carrie Colcrate Chapel. How can I help you? One day I answered the phone and I you know, was just like, hi, this is Carrie Colcrate Chapel. And there was a voice on the other end and he said, he goes, well, my name's Clark Roberts and I'm calling to talk to Mike Mortimer. And I was like, oh yeah, Mike is the youth pastor and he's never in the office. He's always out with the youth. And so Clark and I had just like about a, you know, two, three minute conversation. And then he would call back a few times because he was trying to get in touch with our youth pastor. And in that time frame, I fell in love with him. 
And this is the part that people always go, wait, over the phone. I'm like, yeah, I said, I literally, I, I knew before I ever met him that I was going to marry this man. God had put it on my heart that this man who I was talking to, if he ever put us in the same room, that was going to be it. And so one day um, I, I went into our associate pastor's office and I just said, and Bill Keel was very good friends with, with Clark. And I just said, Hey, you know something I said, Clark is supposed to be coming in to speak and, you know, it's going to be a while still. And this was, I think this was about in July and July and August. I was actually August, August, September of 98. And um, I said, you need to invite him into lunch and you need to introduce me to him. And Bill just looked at me and he goes, well, he's blind. Does that matter? And I went, nope. I said, I already know that he has a great sense of humor. He loves the Lord and he loves life. So the funny thing was, is that, you know, when I would be talking on the phone, he would laugh so hard that I would have to hold the phone away from my ear. And we would have these conversations and we would talk about, I would talk a little bit about my son, Jacob. And at that time, Clark figured I was married. We, we never said anything about, hey, I'm single. It's not like you do that. It's like, hey, I'm single. What are you doing? Let's go out sometime. So and he didn't say, Hey, I'm blind, just just so you know. Right. right, exactly, exactly. It's not like you just on the other end of the phone. It's like, oh, by the way, I know that you can't see me, but guess what? I can't see you either. <laughs> you know, right, so, right. And so so there's these two pretty big unknown factors. But the one mm. thing I did know was that I knew that he loved God. And I knew in my heart that God had said, This is who I have for you. And so I said to Bill, I'm like, it doesn't matter. And he goes, Okay. He goes, Well, he goes. He goes, okay, let me, you know, let me go ahead and, and I'll make a phone call. So he called Clark and he said, left a message for him, basically stating that, um, or no, he called and talked to him and said, hey, I don't know why, but Carrie, for whatever reason, she wants to meet you. And again, remember, they had a very good relationship, a great friendship. So he could be really funny with him. In the meantime, I walk out of the office and Bill had said to me, he goes, you know, why don't I just have, I'll have my wife, you know, we'll have dinner or something. You guys can just kind of show up at the same time and then meet each other. And I walked out of the office and I went, Oh, you know something? I'm a single mom. I have an I have an eight year old son who is busy and has school. And again, work is my ministry, is our school, is my church, and this is just not going to work. So I walked back into Bill's office and I said, "Okay, Bill." I said, um, "That's just not going to work." I said, "You just need to." And he goes, "All right." And I mean, to get him involved was like that was a huge leap of faith because I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And so literally, I'm sitting across the desk, like maybe three and a half feet from where Bill's sitting. And, and Bill reaches over, he grabs the phone while I'm standing there, calls Clark back. Clark doesn't answer, but this time he just leaves a message and he's like, I don't know why Clark, but you know something, she wants to meet you. She's, she just, she just thinks you're fantastic and, and you just need to ask her out. And I'm looking at him, my jaw has dropped. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? So that was, that was before Labor Day weekend, as we're coming into September, he was supposed to be coming to speak to the church. And then, so one Sunday, we're at church and um, he didn't attend our church. And my sister and brother-in-law were there and we were having service. And my sister comes over and she's like, Hey, I think that, I think that guy's here that I'm like, well, how do you know? And she goes, who brings a dog to church? So, <laughs> so, so Clark was there and he had just stopped in to visit and to meet some of the youth. Cause he was getting ready to come in and speak to the youth ministry. And so I walked over and I introduced myself very quickly and it was a real short conversation. And I walked back and my sister and my brother-in-law both said, we just want to let you know that this is good. They hadn't even met him. They just saw our little slight interaction and they both were like, this is good. We think this is a good thing. And she knows me better than anybody. And so I was like, oh, okay. So then, um, then he came and he spoke at the church um, on a, it was a Thursday evening for youth group. 
So I had arranged, my son, of course, was at school there. So I had arranged for him to do his homework in the office. And I went in and I listened to Clark speak. And as I'm sitting there listening to him speak, I all of a sudden had this vision. And I've never had that before. I had this vision of him speaking and I was speaking with him. And we were in front of a lot of people and it was both of us and it was further down the road. And all of a sudden then Jacob comes into the sanctuary where we were sitting and watching him. And Clark was sitting on the stage, sitting on the little steps there with the light on him and light on his dog, Toddy, who's a German, beautiful German, was a German, beautiful German shepherd. And Jacob comes over and he sits down and he was only eight. And so he didn't know it, but he was hearing his future dad share his life story. And I'm watching him and I'm like, you know, he, at this time we hadn't even, we hadn't done anything. We hadn't gone out or anything. And I'm like looking at him and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, God has just orchestrated this incredible moment for him to hear the heart of this man. And so that was, again, that was like towards, that was about September and the beginning of September, Labor Day weekend was coming up and Clark was, um, we were getting ready to go do things. I was going to Coeur d'Alene for Labor Day. And he, at the end, when we were done, when he was done speaking, we're sitting there and, and he says, oh, Mike, who's going to take me home? And every single one of the youth, all of the youth group, they're pointing at me. You know, they know Clark can't see me at all. He can't, they can't, he can't see that they're pointing. They're pointing at me and they're like waving their arms and they're, they're pointing at me and Mike's laughing and I'm laughing. And I looked at Clark and I said, okay, here's the deal. I said, everybody here is pointing at me because see, again, I've, you know, I've been at the church for, you know, seven years. I have been a youth leader. I actually, for five years, I'd been a youth leader. I was ever, you know, They'd been praying for me to meet somebody that entire church had been. <laughs> so, and so I said, apparently I'm taking you home. Now, I kind of knew that I was going to be. God had given me a little bit of boldness in <laughs> and maybe planning a little bit. So I had arranged with my roommate to actually come and pick Jacob up and take him home. And so um, there was a little strategy in this. I I had given, so. Right? <laughs> it's like very intentional. And, and, but again, I knew, and it's like, I don't know if Clark knew yet, but I already knew that I was going to marry this man. And I was, and, and, and it was funny because the pastors, um, Mike Mortimer, he, before Clark had come in, Mike kicked his feet back on and put his feet up on the desk and looked at me when we were in the office before he came in to speak. And he looked at me and he just had that knowing look. And he's a young, he's a young, much younger than I am. And he was like, yep. And I'm like, don't you think that you know what you know? But they knew, and I knew. So, so I, I so want to point something out here because I think it's interesting to see the parallel between how you responded when God said, this is where you're going to work. And you said, take my application off that pile and put it on the other pile. That was very intentional. It was very direct. It was, it was confidence in God, not in yourself. And you did the same thing with this. I love that. Yeah, it's it's really funny because you know I I I always you know I always told the youth girls it's like you know don't don't be bold. <laughs> be careful how bold you are. It's like you know you want as someone's going to come up and ask you out. You know you let them be the lead and and don't be you know don't be pushy. Don't be bold. Don't be brazen for lack of a better word. But I also wasn't twenty. You know I mean so. I was 35 years old and I 
I knew, I knew what God wanted for my life as far as the person that was going to share it with me, because I had already been down the road of knowing what I didn't want. And so, so knowing that God had that plan for me and knowing that I could trust him in that was huge. It was huge because I had, I had gone out on a couple of dates before I met Clark that summer. I had actually gone out on a couple of dates. One of them was a blind date, literally. I mean, it was like, he's, he's literally a blind date. <laughs> but I had gone oh, out. That's too funny. And, and I said, and I literally said, because it was so funny because this, this young man, he showed up, it was super, super hot day outside and he was late and he was coming for Bible study, but he showed up barefoot and in just his shorts. And cause it was super hot. And he was like, Hey, can we go back? And I need to grab a shirt and stuff. Cause it's just, it was really warm where we were at, where he was at before he came to pick me up. And, and I was like pulling teeth, trying to have a conversation with him. And I was just like, I swore I'd never go on a blind date again. So I want to point out those ah. of you listening, <laughs> right? first of all, never tell God never because he, he will not only laugh in your face, he will cause something to happen in your life that literally every single day makes you go, yep, I told him I'd never do that. And every day he reminds me, yes, you will over and over and over again. Oh, <laughs> I love that. So, so that night, so I drove Clark home and we talked, it was a short drive. We talked all the way. And as he was, as he was getting out of the car and came around, he said, you know, he goes, when I get back, or when you get back from Coeur d'Alene and after Labor Day weekend, he goes, I want, I'd like to give you a call and, you know, let's maybe go do coffee. And I said, I'd like that. And then I went, I'd like that a lot. So double emphasis. Again, I was being very bold, Athena. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, what am I doing? And I knew what I was doing. I, I was going, okay, I'm Lord, I'm following your lead. Yep. But I was very careful too. I didn't want my emotions to be what I was listening to. And so one of the things about how God works in my life is that I constantly think in rhythm and rhyme and song. And I, God puts these things in my heart and I just, I just flow with them and see, this is where I'm going to get a little emotional. See, there we go. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> That's okay. I do it all the time. So, so on the drive home, I was, I was singing this song and it was, okay, something in my heart is changing. I can feel it in the wind. A gentle sort of rearranging is happening deep within. Lord, if this is you, then let it be. If this is me, then set it free. Lord, I want to trust only you. And I kept singing that in my heart because I was like, Lord, if this is you, and I know I feel like it's you, if this is you, I want this. But if it's me, I need you to show me and I need you to be clear because I've been down that road before and I want to follow what you want for my life. I don't want to be selfish. It's not just me. I've got this child also. And to know that I was following what God wanted for my life was huge. So Clark gets back. We get back after Labor Day weekend. He calls me up and we went out September 12th. So that's really, in all essence, that's really the first time that we spent any real quality time together. We talked about marriage. We, we talked, oh, very important thing here. Okay, between the time that I dropped him off and the time that we went out, his guide dog, this is so important, his guide dog, Toddy, was, had to go back to guide dogs for the blind for some reassessment. 
because for some behaviors, he was very left-hand strong. So he was pulling Clark along the edges of cars, you know, like, like at a, at a stoplight when he would cross the crosswalk, Toddy was pulling him right along those bumpers. And he was just showing some signs that there was some things that he needed to work on. So, so Clark had sent his guide dog, his eyes, his freedom of mobility, his companion, his direction. And, and so I was going to be his eyes. So I asked Bill, I said, what do I do? And he goes, oh, Carrie, please. He says, God made you for this. Just use your gift of gab. <laughs> All that talking that you do. He says, you're going to be fine. Just ask Clark, you know, what do you need? And so what happened then was, again, so orchestrated by God, because we immediately had to communicate on a level that was not just getting to know each other, but like when we, when we got together, it's like, I went over and, and Bill had told me, he's like, you know, just give him your elbow. And so he would take my elbow on my, um, my left elbow. So with his right hand and we would walk and I would stop at a curb. And, and then he would know that when you stop, it's either a step up or a step down. Sometimes I would say step. I found that I would have to find very quickly my left and right needed to get correct when I was telling him things, <laughs> because if you tell somebody who can't see to go left, but you really meant right, that causes all kinds of problems. Right. <laughs> but, but our, you know, so I was always laughed that I was his seeing eye blonde. And so we talked, we, we shut the restaurant down. And then at that time, that many years ago in 98, there weren't a lot of late night coffee shops open. And so we went back and we stopped, we stopped and got coffee and we went back to his place and we talked, we talked for hours and hours and hours. So, you know, so that night, you know, we, we talked about marriage. It was so funny. I mean, we, we talked about marriage and I knew, again, I knew, I didn't know if he knew, but we did talk about marriage. So that was September 12th. (laughs) He proposed October 30th and we got married April 3rd. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, when God shows you, when God shows up, in such an incredible way that there is no denying that he has shown up, you better be paying attention. So I went in with my eyes completely open. Clark's eyes were open, but he didn't see. (laughs) But, 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 you know, and at the end of, you know, this, that I'll always tell people, my husband sees with his heart. He sees, Mm. he sees, he has more vision than most people do that can see with their physical eyes. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was, and he was right. He was not, he'll tell you, he was not looking. He was literally, literally and physically and figuratively the whole thing. He was not looking. And we always laugh that he said that, well, Bill Keogh, who was the kind of involved in getting this, he said, what do you get when you have a blind man, a blonde woman, and, and then an eight-year-old saying you have abundant energy or you have, excuse me, confusion with no direction and abundant energy. Oh. That is true. You, you are the best. I mean, God could not have given him a better wife and you a better husband. Really? Oh, there's, there's no, yeah, there's no other. I mean, he, he was meant for me and I was meant for him. And, and it's not, and I always love the sayings like complete each other because we're, I'm complete through Christ. I, I had to be content in who I was in my singleness. I had to be content with that. I, and, and when I was dating before I met him, when I went on those couple of dates, I was only, I was really trying to just make some new friendships, you know, open the door to whatever God had. And, but I had to be content in me and in my relationship with Christ. And that was probably one of the biggest things. And, you know, and that's why in like for Clark, he wasn't looking, he was very content being single, living his life. He was working, he had his guide dog, 
you know, and then the, the very interesting thing too, is that, you know, I mentioned that Toddy, his guide dog was not with him. Toddy was not with him this entire time. So the time of our courtship, which was very, very short. I mean, my, my mom literally had to tell my dad, Oh honey, no, I, I think you do need to probably make some time to meet with this young, young man, because um, I think this is kind of serious. During that entire time, Clark did not go back to Guide Dogs for the Blind. He ended up having to call them and say, you know, hey, I, I need you to just retire Toddy because it looks like it's he's not going to come back to me and put me put me down to come and get another dog. Because it takes a while to get back in the books to get another guide dog. Mm-hmm. And so he went back over Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving of 98, he went back and um and and got another guide dog. So we worked together over Thanksgiving. Now, understand again, from the point that we met him, so basically let's just say it's September 12th, from that point forward. So September, October, and then he left in November to get his guide dog towards the end of November, because it was Thanksgiving. During that time, we talked all the time. He would send me these incredible little love notes and, and thoughts of letting me know that he was thinking about me and praying and praying for me. We would, we would talk every night on the phone and pray together. And but every time that we were together and doing things, there was never a dog to lead him and guide him. There was us. So God made it possible in that short time for me to see how our life was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and for us to have to rely immediately upon each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that makes sense to a lot of people, but if you if you know anybody who is is blind or visually impaired and has partial sight sight if they have a guide dog or they use a white cane you know and he would use his white cane when we were together but it's like he would just hold my hand because again i knew i was going to marry him i'm holding his hand (laughs) so but you have to communicate on a different level you have to get real really fast right because that person is relying upon you and we're talking about things that that we may not have talked about for six months, but we immediately were thrown into this relationship that was very symbiotic and, and, and we relied upon each other. We relied upon God, we relied upon each other and our communication was so open and real and transparent. Mm. And it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It is an incredible story. So we could talk for another hour easily but we're out of time. So I just want to try and kind of land this plane. But what I love about your love story is that here you were single mom, never been married. And God is teaching you to trust him, you know, with the job at the church and just in every area, he's teaching you to listen to his voice and trust him and take steps of obedience, which I just hear your story and that's like, you weren't pushy, you were just being obedient and your confidence was in Christ who was leading you this way. And I just love seeing you guys together is just, I mean, I just love it. You, you couldn't have a better match. I mean, God just knew exactly what he was doing with you too. And so just quickly, you wrote a book and we're going to have to get together another time and talk about this book. But you wrote a book called A Guide Dog Named Arby. And it is a children's book to teach children and really adults too about the protocol with a guide dog, because there are some protocols that a lot of people don't know and they need to learn. 
So if we have some people listening today that want to connect with you, get a copy of the book, what's the best way to connect with you online or on social media? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so they can connect with us. We have a website, um, our, we have a nonprofit and our nonprofit is called ultimate vision, inspiring others to see in new ways. And the website is ultimate hyphen vision.org. So again, that's ultimate dash vision.org. Make sure you have that hyphen in there. Cause it's very important. Yep. And you can connect with us there. You can go to our store there. You also can go to Redemption Press because Athena has it in the bookstore, which is fantastic and online. And again, you can get it directly from us. And we are happy to, you know, personalize that to a child or to an adult. Clark also has a book called Wags to You, Short and Long Dog Tales that is also on our website. And it does. It's, it's a great way to teach adults and children about the journey of a guide dog and the importance of the etiquette when you are dealing with somebody who's visually impaired and has a guide dog. Awesome. I just have so enjoyed. I mean, I remember one time, and it's not the only time I've interviewed you, I don't think, but I had you and Clark on the radio show that I used to have, Always Faithful Radio, at the King County Fair. That was just such a delight. So, I mean, this is like, kind of old home week. So it feels good to to hang with you and just hear your story again, because it always totally jazzes me and just reminds me again of what a faithful God we serve. Yes. So thank you for being with us today, Miss Carrie. It has just been a blessing. Thank you for having me. That's been a lot of fun to connect again. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.